Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. How's it going, everybody? Uh, this is not Kanoa Leahy. This is Tanner Hayworth filling in for Kanoa Leahy. It is going to be a wild week for all of the live shows this week as everyone is headed out to Vegas for that big Ninth Island Showdown. And look, just like how everyone loves to come to Hawaii when they're playing Hawaii football or whichever sport that they're playing in, we like to go to Vegas. So shout out to absolutely everyone uh, that's going out to Vegas. Also, This is a little selfish. Big shout out to the people staying behind and making sure that the radio station stays alive. Talking me, talking Liz, and I'm definitely not talking Keegan Ota, who is going on the trip. It's not that I'm jealous or anything. It's just that I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, There's a lot of really great stuff that happened over this weekend. We can first just open up, talk about win number two for Hawaii football this year as the Rainbow Warriors got their revenge over New Mexico State, uh, it was a tough, it was a tough first half to watch. Um, I, every single home game, I have the ability to be down here in the offices, board up for the uh, football games, and if there was a camera inside this office, you would just see just a sad, sad man looking at the screen, being like, oh, this is just embarrassing. Because, look, It wasn't like we were getting blown out all over again by New Mexico State uh, like last year, but watching the offense in the first half just lay a real just goose egg. Uh, Sure, they came out with three points on that field goal from Matthew Shipley, but we can thank those three points from Sauce Williams, the defensive tackle who stripped the ball from Star Thomas and ran about 40 yards to get most of the uh, field back before uh, they could not convert another third down in that first half. So I thought it was going to be a lot of that. Uh, New Mexico State's running game looked very much alive. Uh, Diego Pavia was looking exactly like, exactly like how I thought he was going to be looking. Him breaking off 10-yard runs here, 10-yard runs there. He wasn't super amazing in the passing game but I tell you what leaving guys wide open with no defenders near you but with about 15 yards of distance that'll help your passing game just a little bit because that's how they got to that 17 to 3 lead there's just a lot of broken coverages a lot of tackling that needed to be fixed and these were all things that I was getting prepared to hear for another couple of hours whether it be on the broadcast with John and Mark whether it be on the fan phones that were going to be coming I was dreading it But then something happened, and I don't know what happened in that second half. I want to know if there's a recording of whatever was said in halftime because the Rainbow Warriors came out on that first drive. Braden Shager saw no one open in the end zone, and he you know, took it himself for a quick little four-yard touchdown run, brought the lead back a little bit, so you know, it felt a little good. Then we got the onside kick, and everything really just started to shift from there. Because after that point, New Mexico State's offense did not look good. They had one good drive that ended with a missed field goal. And that offense, I believe, only had about 88 yards rushing for the entire, or 88 yards total, sorry, in the entire second half. So whether it be the offense finally, you know, 
doing something. They got Kowali Nishigaya out there instead of Grayson Morgan, and that seemed to uh, fire up the offense. Kowali himself getting a touchdown. I believe his first of the year. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Kowali getting a much-deserved touchdown because I'm sure if you follow this Rainbow Warrior program, you know what he's had to go through the last couple of years. He had that broken leg that he had to come back from, and he's been an absolute warrior just kind of being on the bench for the last couple of years, and it's been awesome to see see him getting a lot of the dues that he's been deservedly getting. Pofele Ashlock, when he got the ball, he got the lion shares of targets. He looked really great out there. And the running back by committee of Landon Sims and Jordan Johnson started to look a little respectable, especially with uh, Jordan Johnson just taking whatever dump off that he could find from Braden Shager and just churning that into first downs time after time and time. And oh yeah, your offensive tackle picking up a fumble for 23 yards. I think at that point, it felt really good. We got the last second field goal from Matthew Shipley. By the way, the first um, game, uh, the first field goal uh, that ended the game since I believe 2001 by um, Ayat, if I'm correct with my statistic there. Um, Just a lot of really great stuff. And it really does make me excited for the upcoming matchup against UNLV because other than being able to go to Las Vegas, which, of course, I'm not able to go to Las Vegas, at least this year, I hope. Uh, But um, it's a storied matchup. I mean, these are our rivals. We're very close to them, I believe, talent-wise, especially if a guy like Doug Brumfield cannot get out there. They last week had to roll out a name that I think a lot of us in Hawaii uh, should be a little more familiar with now in a Mayava, who in lieu of Doug Brumfield uh, two weeks ago against Vanderbilt had a pretty good game himself. Um, but And then last week, I if I remember correctly, they also uh, had a pretty good game. Yeah, 45-28 to 28 over UTEP. And of course, UTEP 1-4. UNLV comes out 3-1. and one. It was a lot on the rushing game for UNLV. You had Jaden Thomas, 13 carries for 100 yards and, and four touchdowns uh, with a long of 46. You had Vincent Davis with 13 carries himself and 97 yards and no touchdowns. So I think if you are the Rainbow Warriors, it's another game where we do have to worry about the rushing game. And the last two teams that I really feel we have done well against with Albany and uh, New Mexico State. Those two guys were pretty good running the ball uh, coming out of the gate. And what Hawaii needs to probably do is get those stops on first down, get them questioning themselves on second down so you can get them all the way to third for a conversion or for a lack of a conversion. And I found in the second halves, a lot of the Rainbow Warriors defense has been doing a very good job at that. I think a guy like Sauce Williams should be getting a lot more snap time. I've been hyping this guy up all summer long, and I'm really excited that he's finally getting a lot more snaps than what he's been getting the first couple of weeks of the season. I think if Sauce gets more 
snaps out there, it'll only do good for the Rainbow Warriors defensive line, a defensive line that has needed help for the last couple of years, and especially this year when you lose a leader like a blessman to Allah. And sure, you have Kuau Pehopa, who's been kind of anchored into that nose tackle spot, but seeing uh, Sauce out there, seeing Winden Ho'ohuli get his first sack finally after he was dealing with a tear of his own last year where he couldn't play, I believe that was the week before the San Diego State game. That's been awesome to see. But this defense really does need to step up. Sure, they played well in the second half. I think what we need to see from now from the University of Hawaii is to start out strong, whether it be actually scoring in the first half. That's just not a field goal. Uh, A lot of people would love to see that. And I think with that, you bring out Kuali Nishigaya as your starting wide receiver and you stick with that four wide receiver set and it sucks to say that because that kind of takes away a job from a guy like Grayson Morgan who has been doing his best to stay on that starting lineup to be that starting tight end but I think with this offense having guys like Pofele Ashlock, Stephen McBride, Kuali Nishigaya and Alex Perry or pick pick your choice for that number four receiver I think you need those four guys out there because having those two kind of Fast guys in the slot of Pofele and Koali really, really messes up that defense. And we've seen it time and time again with the run and shoot, with the no tight end set. I think, unfortunately for Grayson, it's going to suck for him. But he, I think, needs to find a way to get, you know, into the lineup again. Uh, 808-296-1420 is our number. That's where you can call or text us on the Zephyr Insurance text line. If you have any opinions about the University of Hawaii as we enter uh, conference play, go ahead and ring us up. Two and three is definitely a doable season, I think. Going into the regular season in general, I think it wasn't that uncommon to say that the University of Hawaii would come out of the non-conference schedule at two and three because you had the Albany game and you could kind of pick your choice on What was going to happen there? I think New Mexico State was a win we absolutely needed. We got eight games left in the year. That only means you need to go 500 for the rest of the year to at least not guarantee a spot in a bowl game, but we all know if Hawaii gets six wins and the NCAA always seems to find a way to create a new bowl game for Hawaii to play in the Hawaii Bowl. That just seems to happen. It's happened the last two times. Hawaii's had six wins. I believe that was in um, 2016, which was Nick Rolovich's first year where Hawaii beat uh, Middle Tennessee. Uh, That was all the way with Drew Brown and Marcus Kemp. And it happened in 2021 as well. That game, unfortunately, was canceled. I believe that game was against Memphis. And that was like the whole Todd Graham times. I think we had enough people with COVID where you were going to see Jonah Laulu play like some tight end. Uh, you had Calvin Turner, who was out there ready to play cornerback, is the rumors that I remember hearing at that time. So maybe it was a good thing that that game was canceled at that point. We wouldn't get uh, shellacked by the Memphis Tigers. Um, but going into conference play, when you look at the University of Hawaii's schedule and you think about, okay, can you tally uh, out of the next eight games? Is it possible to say... Yeah, these are four games that look at least somewhat winnable. And when I'm looking at it, I'm going to have to kind of arrogantly, maybe not ignorantly, I'm going to say yes because 
I think Hawaii was dealt a very good hand in terms of a conference season. Because, yes, you have this UNLV game, and when you look at the Ninth Island Showdown in general, home team wins. So let's say we chalk this game up to a loss. Then you have San Diego State, who themselves have not been doing super well, plus that is Hawaii coming off of a bye week. So off a bye week, you're at home. I like Hawaii's chances against San Diego State. I know it's a very controversial opinion to some, but San Diego State's offense just has not looked good at all this year. Sure, they scored 30 against uh, Boise State last week, but Boise State has looked kind of eh. So maybe that is something to worry about in the future. So I'll chalk that up to, I'll say a loss there. So we've already gone 0-2. So now you have to go 4-2 for the rest of the year. Well, who else is on the schedule? You have New Mexico, which I feel confident about that game. San Jose State, and that can be a toss-up as well. San Jose State has not looked good this year. Sure, they played some really great opponents. I think about uh, this team. You might have heard of them. They're called the USC Trojans. And sure, they got blown out by them. Chevin Cordero had a really great game off of them. But last week, they only scored 20 against a pretty good Air Force squad who, by the way, we do have to play at home as well. So maybe that can be a win. Who knows? That's going to be probably a San Jose State win. You look at a game at Nevada, I'm going to say that's a W. Uh, You look at Air Force, probably a loss. And then Wyoming and Colorado State, which I think are the two wild cards of the Mountain West because Wyoming, I feel like every year, always has that chance of, oh, my gosh, they look so good. Look at that. They almost beat Texas. And then they come out, beat Appalachian State, and they also beat Texas Tech. So why aren't they considered to be like the top team in the Mountain West? Because they don't finish these games a lot. And with the Wyoming-Appalachian State game, they really won that off of a blocked field goal for a touchdown, That was of which was the first ever blocked field goal for a touchdown in Wyoming history. So it required something that's never happened in Wyoming football history so that they could win that game. So I just think I still don't have that much kind of confidence in the Wyoming Cowboys and it's going to be it's going to make for a very fun Paniolo Bowl as we go up to Laramie in November. So maybe there can be a shocker. That game's at 9 a.m. for so maybe that for us at least. But um I think that's going to be a fun game to watch as well and then you end this end the year off with Colorado State, which is also a rare home game to finish the year. So I think if you go into that Colorado State game with maybe five wins, maybe you get the emotions running hot for that game because, hey, if Timmy goes to a bowl game, I believe that accounts for a raise in his contract. So that's all I'm going to say. A lot of people love to get a little more money in the bank. And look, if the players want to look out for Timmy Chang's future, well, maybe you get to a bowl game. Help them out. That's all I'm going to say there. Uh, this is Let's Talk Sports on ESPN. Honolulu Tanner Hayworth in for a traveling Kanoa Leahy. And I'm here to remind you to upgrade your island style with Kahala, the original Aloha shirt since 1936. Pick one up for yourself at, e- at each one of Kahala's six stores island-wide or at kahala.com.
Let's talk sports on ESPN. Honolulu Tanner here with in for Kanoa Leahy. Also, big shout out to Sauce Williams, who was graded out as the highest graded defensive player in the FBS by PFF. So shout out to Sauce. Um, if you ever want to follow him, uh, I'm pretty sure if you just look up Sauce Williams on most things uh, tw- on X, formerly known as Twitter, which I believe is the long form name of X these days uh, and Instagram, you could view his stories, view his posts. They're a lot of fun. He has these uh, really crazy glasses, which is just the whole one lens thing going on. So, hey, if you ever need fashion advice, I think that you now know who to go to. Um, Looking at this weekend of NFL action, uh, there's no way that you can't talk about this. Uh, The Miami Dolphins absolutely just laying the laying the wood down on the Denver Broncos 70 to 10 20 oh that would have been even worse but 70 to 20 one of those was just a kickoff return touchdown which I gotta say if you score as many touchdowns and have as many kickoffs as the Miami Dolphins had I think eventually you would get one kickoff return touchdown so that's good for the Denver Broncos there I Yes, but if you ever had a friend that said, look, man, I need to find one NFL game that I can just be amazed by offense the entire time, just show him every single touchdown, every single drive of this Miami Dolphins game because as much as I want to give you know, 100% credit to Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who had a great game, went 23 of 26 for 309 yards and four touchdowns at a quarterback rating of 155.8. Mike McDaniel absolutely created some beautiful schemes to get these guys open. I think about the play-action pass where... As Tua is going to hand the ball off, he no-look shovel passes to Matt Breida. By the way, they did that twice to the Denver Broncos, scoring on both of them on that no-look shovel pass action going on. You had this beautiful play where you had a wide receiver come around on what they call an orbit screen where you basically uh, run around the entire uh, running backs were in a formation right behind the quarterback they fake that and then meanwhile rookie running back Devana Chan from uh from uh Texas A&M uh you might know him as Devon A-Chan but he came out and said he wants to be called a Ch- uh, Chan which I think is the right way to go we'll find out in the next coming days when we all uh eventually figure out how to say it but Devana Chan is now coming on an end around himself and that guy who was coming off the fake orbit screen is now your uh lead blocker and if you watch that play there is an instant where Devon is in the field there are four other like dolphins blocking for him and there are eight Denver Broncos defenders who are absolutely nowhere close to the ball. Five of them are sprawled out onto the ground. The Miami Dolphins look like the best team in the NFL right now. And with a guy like Vic Fangio, who's done a really great job with this defense, despite a litany of depth issues of, I think they only pretty much only have like three safeties right now. Javon Holland is playing absolutely lights out from his safety position. He, uh, 
caused two fumbles off of Cortland Sutton that game. Uh, yeah, the Miami Dolphins, I think, should be able to kind of run away with this division, in my opinion. And a lot of people will say, okay, but can he get past Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes? Well, I think for one year, for this year only, the Kansas City Chiefs look like they can. They are a team that is flawed. Uh, the receivers, you know, aren't that great. Uh they have Travis Kelsey back, and maybe with the magic of Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey is going to have like the best season of all time from a tight end, which, to be fair, I can see it happening. Taylor Swift has a lot of magic uh, coming from her. She's having a – I think she just finished up like one of the most successful tours of all time. I think that's fair to say. What Am I right in that, Liz? Pretty much number one? It's not – the only thing you're not right on is that it's over. Oh, it's still going. Started on it. (laughs) Okay, cool. So, like we said, Taylor, she's probably got some good old magic, some good hype songs for Travis Kelsey. But look, the Kansas City Chiefs look like they can be beat this year. You see the Detroit Lions take them down in Week One. Sure, yeah, they beat the Jaguars and the Bears. See, they're back. Yeah, when you beat the Bears, uh, you look like you're the best team in the NFL pretty much every single time. Sorry, Hunter, Um, but. I think with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, if he plays at least 16 games, I know he wants to play 17. That's what he said. But if he gets at least 16, this t- the Miami Dolphins, I think, should be the number one seed coming out of the AFC. And if that does happen for the Miami Dolphins, look, that's an easy Super Bowl run, I think, this year. Because you have guys like Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddle didn't even play yesterday, and they scored 70 points. Their number two wide receiver was Robbie Chosen, formerly Robbie Anderson. He had one catch for 68 yards and a touchdown. And that was from Mike White. So after Tyreek Hill, yeah, maybe the talent doesn't look as good, but Robbie Anderson, Braxton Berrios, River Craycraft all were out there, and... They did pretty much fine. They did what they were asked to do because they didn't need Tua Tungavailoa to be an absolute titan killer. He didn't need to be the guy to be there's to go 100% throwing accuracy and be as perfect as he was because you had their running backs run for 350 yards. The total amount of yards that the Miami Dolphins had this game were the most in NFL history. So when you have guys like Devon Achan and Raheem Mostert run and and even a guy named Chris Brooks, who I'm sure you could go up to a guy on the street named Chris Brooks and you'd probably, you know, get as pretty much the same kind of activities he did this uh, in this game because that offensive line who me myself has been doubting this entire offseason looked absolutely amazing sure Teron Armstead is back but the last two weeks the offensive line without Teron Armstead has looked really good and now you add back one of the best left tackles mind you one of the best uh run blocking left tackles in the NFL in Teron Armstead now you got almost running for 400 yards and five touchdowns against the Denver Broncos who you know I didn't think were a bad defense they have good guys I think of uh, Patrick Sertan 
that's pretty much it. Now, now that I think about it, I haven't really thought about the Denver Broncos much this year. But regardless, this is an amazing team. And the main thing for the Miami Dolphins is you got to focus on health. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, yeah, he had those concussions last year. He's probably not going to be dealing with that, hopefully not going to be dealing with that issue this year. But as the season goes on, you have to find your ways to not only manage your injuries, your major injuries, you got to find a way to manage just the overall health of this team. Tyreek Hill goes for nine catches, 157 yards, and a touchdown on 11 targets. When you look at Tyreek Hill overall this season, Sorry. Uh, overall, this season, the first game, he goes 11 for 15 for 215 yards and two touchdowns. Last week, off of only nine targets, he gets five catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown. And he comes back with 157 the next week. So what do you do if a guy like Tyreek Hill gets a little nicked up? What if while he's running a route, he you know twists an ankle? Is that the end of the season for the Miami Dolphins? I don't think so, but I think you need to find a way to not be overly aggressive when you are mitigating these kind of guys because I don't think that Tyreek Hill would be the guy to be like, I'm hurt, I got to keep playing because I think for the Miami Dolphins, next man up is a very real thing that they could work with just because the amount of speed that they have on this team. Cause you have a guy like, you know, uh, Jalen Waddle, you have uh, Eric Ezukanma, who you might not know his name now. He's a pretty solid receiver. He's had a couple of jet sweeps so far this year as well. And Robbie Anderson, who is a proven deep threat in the league. So I think you probably lose a little bit of dimension if a guy like Tyreek Hill goes down in terms of offensive play calling. But I still think that this team can be successful because I don't think this entire offense is anchored behind how well Tyreek Hill does. Because we saw it last year. This entire offense is truly anchored with how well Tua Tungavailoa does. Because you have a guy that went out there and threw 23 of 26, didn't have a single incompletion until the second half. I mean, he had more touchdowns than incompletions. I think that's pretty much all you can say about how well Tua Tungavailoa has played this year. And maybe he should also be considered a front runner for the NFL MVP. Sure, it's week three, but... We like to overreact in early regular season. You have any thoughts? Uh, 808-296-1420. That's the number to call us or text us on the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, we did get some text here. So uh, Harry coming out here and says, In my opinion, Tua and the Dolphins made Denver look like they were high schoolers, which you know, you feel bad for them. Sean Payton had an absolute terrible time in the press conference. But, hey, that's a guy that has criticized uh, Mike McDaniel before, has criticized Tua Tonga-Vailoa. So maybe they took a page out of Coach Prime's book because, hey, they made it personal. And I think that's what truly happened. Well, that's not what happened, obviously, because if they really made it personal, maybe Mike McDaniel gets that field goal in the fourth quarter. We have another text from the 381 says, when it comes down to it, seasons are won in late January and February. Kansas City DBs are criminally underrated, and if Miami lets Casey get home field advantage, it's a wrap. Weather in Kansas City is another factor, not just the kingdom. 
but Tua for MVP so far. Thank you for the text uh, from the Zephyr Insurance text line. And that's true because when you look at the start of last year for Miami, they were 3-0 and as well. They were just freshly coming off of that amazing comeback win against the Baltimore Ravens. And it was that middle of the year where you saw Tua get hurt and that kind of derailed the entire season. So that's going to be the question for the Miami Dolphins. How sustainable can they keep up these performances? And that will truly, you know, once we get to November, I think that's when we're going to see a lot of these teams in their true form, in their truest playoff form. Uh, Because, hey, it's week three, baby, and we're already having this much content. Uh, Tanner Hayworth in for Kanoa Leahy. This is Let's Talk Sports on ESPN Honolulu. Let's talk sports on ESPN. Honolulu, Tanner Hayworth in for Kanoa Leahy. Uh, a lot of great stuff happened this weekend. Uh, one matchup I think a lot of people were looking forward to in college football was that Oregon-Colorado game. Um, it didn't go well for Coach Prime and his crew. Uh, as They pretty much got stomped out, uh, much like how they stomped on Oregon's logo before the game, 42-6. Uh, to six. You'd think a team that just got finished, talking about how they've been disrespected all month long, how people been uh, standing on their logo, people be uh, stepping, stomping on their logo, and then they go out and do the exact same thing to another team? Like, come on, guys. You can't be serious about this. So they go out there and they got they lay it, they lay a goose egg or a duck egg in Eugene. Uh 42 to 6. They did not score until the fourth quarter, in where Michael Harrison does get that touchdown from Shador Sanders, and then they get their PAT blocked. So I think it's safe to say that Oregon came out with the fire because for some reason, a lot of people just want to put out coach prime's fire because he comes in, he plays with a lot of pride with for his team and for his players. And I don't think that's something that you can, uh, I'm not saying that's something that you cannot criticize for coach prime. That is definitely something that can be criticized because you can just be a little more arrogant Uh, for the performance of your own team. And look, for the people that could be surprised by by this game, I think if you knew ball, if you watched a lot of college football, this is something that a lot of people were expecting. Personally, I never felt comfortable ranking Colorado above 20 for much of this non-conference schedule for them because, yeah, TCU was their one big win. But after that, then you get a really bad Nebraska team. Then you got uh, Colorado State, which they played very well in that game. But just because you beat a bad Nebraska team and a solid group of five team that's usually at the bottom of the Mountain West, I see people ranking them top 15, and I'm just mostly confused. Uh, I think the highest I ever went was like 19 just because I felt a little felt a little spicy with it. But Colorado has a lot of really good players. Let's not fault them for that. They have a guy named Shador Sanders who I think is 
a good quarterback prospect. I think if he plays another year at Colorado, it'll only help him get better, uh, get a better draft position in the NFL. Travis Hunter would probably be a Heisman, not front runner, but definitely a candidate if he didn't have the lacerated liver. Um, and he definitely helps this team both on offense and on defense. And that's the main worry about this Colorado team as the year goes on. Uh, you have great speed at your skill positions, but how good is that speed when your defense, who is headlined by a guy in Travis Hunter, and your next best guy is Shiloh Sanders, who is a good safety, but after him, not much is happening. I think a lot of people expected the uh, true freshman, Cormani McClain. He's a five-star recruit, number one quarter cornerback prospect going into the year. Dude is, I think, 6'2". So that's already has like NFL GMs just ready for this guy to break out. But apparently he's just not playing well in practice enough where Coach Prime is saying, yeah, he's not ready. He's the one that's stopping himself from being ready and playing on this team right now. And look, if there's a guy who I trust with uh, uh, evaluating cornerbacks, I would say one of the best cornerbacks in NFL history, and Deion Sanders is a guy who I'll trust with that. But the issue is, after you get past Travis Hunter and Shiloh Sanders, this defense is bad. Um, this is a team that before the Oregon game was allowing 195.3 rushing yards per game. And when you see that as an opponent, especially when you're a top 10 team in the Oregon Ducks, especially when you are a program like the Oregon Ducks, who have traditionally been a very great running team. Just think about how, not even just running backs, think about their wide receivers. Think about their quarterbacks. Yeah, they ran for 240 on them. Um, Certainly not like the Miami Dolphins who ran for 350, obviously. But you still have uh, at least, what, three guys absolutely do whatever they want against that defensive line. The offensive line is okay. Uh, impact, not Pac-5 standards. That would be very good for the Pac-5 if they had an offensive line like Colorado. But in Power 5 standards, it's an okay offensive line. But you can get pretty much really great pressure on Shador Sanders whenever you can just put a little more just put what rush five maybe even rush four you get instant pressure usually for Colorado and what's the issue is is that next week it doesn't get any easier because you're going against USC and the Heisman the uh the reigning Heisman trophy winner in Caleb Williams a guy who's probably going to be the number one pick this year and the only thing that will stop him from being the number one pick this year in the nfl draft is if he just decides to not play for the team that's looking like they're going to be the number one pick uh in the nfl draft because look if i were caleb williams and i saw the chicago bears staring at me from the number one overall pick i think i could you know maybe see a decision on getting a little more academics done getting my degree done for one more year but like I said, after Oregon, sorry about that, after Oregon, after USC, then it's what? Arizona State and Stanford, so you get a little bit of leeway. That's probably when Travis Hunter can come back from that injury because uh, then you have UCLA and Oregon State. Then you finish off the year eventually with Washington State and Utah. I'm going to say it like it is. The Pac-12 is a gauntlet this year. I think the team that comes out of the Pac-12 will be 
in the college football playoff and will be a very great competitor to come out for the college football playoff. Is that team going to be Colorado? Absolutely not. Um, I only the only teams I can really viably see in that ending, if you know all you know injuries don't uh, just absolutely derail these guys' seasons. I think about Oregon who's been playing very well with Bo Nix, trying to get his Heisman finally. Uh, You see USC, obviously, because Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams, and he is the only thing that is keeping that team afloat as an undefeated team. And probably one of the most overlooked top 10 teams, I think, in in a long time are these Washington Huskies led by Michael Penix, who, in my opinion is my Heisman Trophy uh, front runner if I had a ballot. Uh, I know a lot of people might think I might have a ballot as a 23-year-old out in Hawaii, but I do not. But if I did, Michael Penix would definitely be uh, number one there. Dude has been absolutely stellar. I think the Washington Huskies will be the Pac-12 champs coming out of this year, the final Pac-12 champ, unfortunately. And with Colorado, let's say it like it is they were a one win team last year getting a one win team to a bowl game is amazing and i think this colorado buffaloes team can be a seven eight win team this year and that's very close to one of those you know when we talk about june jones leading one of the best comebacks of all time going from a winless team to a nine win team going from a one win team to an eight win team is something you know very close it's not the same it's not gonna be better but what but what primetime has done for um colorado has been absolutely stellar and i'm excited to see the future for boulder uh i want him to stay and i want to see how long he stays because that's when i'll start criticizing is into the future because so far this year the only thing i can criticize uh deon sanders for being is just being a little headstrong being a little uh being a little you know dramatic for the camera there uh let's talk sports on espn honolulu uh just reminding everybody about woodcraft hawaii's vendor days uh they're here this week save 10 percent off of dewalt power tools and 25 percent off accessories at woodcraft hawaii Let's talk sports on ESPN, Honolulu, Tanner Haywarthen for Kanoa A couple of quick shout-outs uh, for uh, University of Hawaii players and former University of Hawaii players. Um, former All-American middle blocker Patrick Gassman was named the most valuable player out of the uh, Norkika men's Pan-American Final Six after leading the Americans to the tournament title. So congratulations, Uncle Pat. And then the Big West came out with their Players of the Week and Amber Iagidi getting that uh, award, getting that award for Offensive Player of the Week. And to nobody's surprise, Kate Lang gets Setter of the Week, making that Five weeks in a row for this season and six weeks in a row overall for the 
setter of the week, setter of the year, setter of the decade, it kind of feels like, for Kate Lang as she's having herself a pretty great season, uh, setting balls for the rainbow Wahine. Uh, they, by the way, had a very, very chill weekend. Uh, if you caught any of the games against uh, Cal State, Bakersfield, or CSUN, there was a lot of... Um, Bench clearing for the Rainbow Wahine in a good way. Uh, we saw a lot of players get out there. You saw a lot of uh, Jason Bamis, the middle blocker from Clemson. Uh, Stella uh, Ademi, the true freshman, came out there. She had an amazing first career kill where it was uh, – it was just a wild play in general where the ball barely touches the ground, where off the third hit, she just kind of hits it underhand just to get a free ball over the net, and it just goes absolutely in. No one can get the ball, and that's her first kill of her career. And I think she said herself that she would have liked it to see it uh, to be overhand for her first career kill, but she'll take it. Uh, you saw a lot of – I think Paula Gershing finally had a really great game uh, in yesterday's matchup against C where she had the second most kills for the University of Hawaii. So that was really awesome to see uh, as Coach Robin Amo taking a page out of Charlie Wade's book. It's not a bench. If, you if it's not called depth, if you don't use it. So I'll try to get the quote right next time uh, as the main depth piece here at the ESPN Honolulu. Uh, I'll go into best and worst because, hey, if it's Let's Talk Sports, I'll try to get at least one thing going in. Uh, for my best so far, I'm going to go with Sauce Williams. Dude comes out, balls out, has been absolutely one of my favorite guys to follow at the University of Hawaii. His name uh, has the highest graded defensive player in the FBS, according to PFF. And if this Hawaii defense wants to be even more successful than it was, if they want to ride the coattails of that really great second half, I think you start more Sauce Williams because I want more Sauce in my life there. And for my worst... Um, for my worst, I'm going to go with Sean Payton. D just be patient. The reporter will ask his question. He just wants his little time to put in his little soundbite. So, Sean, maybe next time don't put out those uh, interesting comments about Tua Tonga-Vailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Well, thank you very much for listening. This has been Let's Talk Sports on ESPN Honolulu.